ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಯಧರ್ಮಸ್ವರ್ಮಸ್ವೂಪಿಣೆ ಅವತಾರವರಿಷ್ಠಾಕೃಷ್ಣಾ ನಮಃ ವಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾನೂರಮರ್ದನ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ದ ಫಿಫ್ಟಿ ಸೆವೆಂತ್ sloka of the second chapter of bhagavad gita so where we find the idea of abhisneha which has to be got read off as a sadhaka and the one who is established in yoga for him it has naturally fallen off so what is the meaning of that word abhisneha abhisneha is the word sneha with the prefix abhi so instead of using instead of saying a sneha bhagwan is asking to get rid of abhi sneha by the word anabhi sneha the shloka as we studied in the last class ya sarvatran anabhi sneha tat tat prapya shubhashubham na abhinandati na tveshti So this anavisneha speaks of infatuation. So if we don't understand the words properly, then we may feel that as if sneha is bad. Sneha is not bad. To have love, compassion, kindness is of course a good. We are not supposed to become like human brutes by getting rid of all these good qualities. so instead of saying a sneha he is saying anabhisneha because abhisneha is something the moment you add the prefix abhi it's the sneha now this sneha with the prefix abhi it means infatuation abhisneha so where in the name of love it is we who project our likes dislikes our ambitions on the another person and want them to fulfill our expectations so that actually is a product of selfishness selfless love where the other person's interest is prime the one whom i love his interest is prime i just try to help him out in getting his interest fulfilled so that is sneha so and for that you have to think yourself as the instrument of the divine and you take care of your loved ones without any expectations in return love actually speaks of care so you take care you nourish but allow the thing to grow as per its nature knowing very well each and every one as per his sanskara as per his background has their own innate tendency to grow in a particular way 
we just nurture that we don't impose our own likes and dislikes our ambitions on the other person when we do that then the shubha and the ashubha what is shubha apparently the th- when i find that my projected desires are being fulfilled my projected ambitions are being fulfilled that's what i define as shubha and ashubha when it never happens and when i find my projected de- desires ambitions has not been fulfilled by the one whom i feel as if i love i what i start doing i start blaming him and if he fulfills i starts flattering him praising him so all these are the products of anabhisneha so once you get rid of anabhisneha then you are no more bothered about the shubha and the ashubha and neither you are going to blame or censor na abhinandati na dveshti and how is it possible if your ego is not the prime factor if you have become just like the instrument in the hand of the divine seeking not avoiding not we are placed in a particular situation of life we do our duties just as it has been ordained by the divine and there i rest i don't hanker for the result after that so for such a person pragya wisdom is pratishthita for us what happens now and then after reading the scriptures or hearing some talk we feel that yes i have to behave this way in life but moment the moment the challenges of life come our so called intellectual convictions it's not conviction it was an apparent in this intellectual ideas they in no way are reflected through our life they are washed away that's why our pragya is not pratishthita it is not established the one whose pragya is established in whatever may be the situation of life in all situations of life we will find they never forget the orientation with which they are supposed to act in this life so for them the pragya is pratishthita and for such a person we find that whatever may be the circumstances the so called uh, the conditions are favorable or not he never resorts to blaming or excessive praising because he is no more infatuated he has developed the true love so that is one of the lakshana of the one whose wisdom is established who is sthitadhi so after speaking of that now uh, that we will proceed to the the next sloka the 58th sloka uh now from this 58th for the uh, six verses this yeah the six slokas we will find bhagwan as we saw that arjuna's question was that sitadhin kim prabhasheta that how he speaks that was answered in this 57th that he neither blames nor he censors nor he criticizes others so that's how his is uh, the one who is established in wisdom he never praises nor blames takes the situation as it is so that's the 
uh, idea behind King Prabhashetra. That's the answer. The next question was Kim Asita. Means when he is not always in Samadhi. Even a man of realization may go to the state of highest realization. From there he comes down. And when he is resting, just he is relaxing. He is not interacting with the people. He is with himself. What is the Lakshana? What are the signs and symptoms by which I can understand that he is established in his wisdom? So in the next six slokas, Bhagavan will answer that, Kimasita. And then he will proceed to the last question, Brajetakim, the same person who has came down from that state of realization. Now he's interacting with the world. When he's moving around, interacting, what are the signs and symptoms by which I can understand that he's established in wisdom? So these are the three questions which Arjuna asked. In the fifth, 57th, the first question was answered that King Prabhasheta. Now, Kim Asita, how he conducts himself in day-to-day life when he is not interacting with the world and at the same time he is not absorbed in Samadhi. He has come down. But he is relaxing. He is not interacting with the world. <clears throat> so how, what are his uh, signs and symptoms? So we will find that that's one thing Swami Vivekananda used to say very interesting. That throughout our life so much energy is wasted to show others that I am a good person, I am a holy person. If I would have uh, used that same energy to really convert myself, transform myself, I would have been a transformed personality. That speaks of our two images. When we are with the people, we all realize we are a different person. But when I am alone with myself, I will find that I am not the same when I am with others, as if we are wearing two faces. We are having two faces. So this Kim Asita and Rajeta Kim speaks of that. That when he is with himself, he is not interacting with the world. What is his? Uh, what are the signs and symptoms which we find in him, which can establish the fact that he is a realized soul? So now let us. Proceed from the 58th for the successive six slokas where we find the answer of Bhagavan on this of this question which Arjuna has asked. So the 58th sloka. What it says, Yada Sangharate Chayam Kurma Anga Angan Iva Sarvashaha. Kurma Angan Iva Sarvashaha. Yada Sangharate Chayam. First, let me read along with the Sandhi and then we will break the Sandhi to understand the words. Yada Sangharate Chayam Kurmongani Vasarvasaha Indriyan Indriyarthebhya Stasya Pragya Pratishthita Yada Sangharate Chayam Kurma Angan Iva Sarvasaha. So when a tortoise is attacked, Kurma is a tortoise. What it does, it immediately will withdraw its limbs. For us, when the sense objects are there outside, 
our limbs are as if extended out. We want to grab them. But when it so happens that even the objects which lures us are there outside, but seeing them, my reflex has changed. I don't immediately move out, extend my all my so-called indriyas, the sense organs to grab it. I, it has just become the opposite. I withdraw them just the way the tortoise, when it is attacked, it withdraws the limbs. What it speaks that I have understood, I have understood the real nature of all the objects of the senses, that they are going to, in, in, in the long run, going to destroy me. They may give me some temporary satisfaction, but in the long run, they're going to destroy me. So I can see the long-term effect of it and understand just the way the tortoise feels danger and then withdraws its limb. Here also, instead of thinking them to be something pleasurable, I see them as danger and I withdraw my myself. So when you are alone with yourself, is this the way we are all behaving? Maybe when we are in the society, when we are with among the people, we try to behave. So that, that, that's why we are stressing this point. Just you will find that, that so many answers are hidden when these examples are given. That he has asked that ki maasita brajeta ki. When I'm moving around with the people, my behavior may be different. But when I'm alone with myself, then I may find that my tendencies are to just get lured. So here is the science in terms. Do you see that man, whether he's observed or not, whether he's with himself or he's moving around with the other people in the society, is he always withdrawn when there is something to lure him instead of extending himself to grab it, he's withdrawing himself. If you find that, know it for certain that his pragya, his wisdom is established. That Pratishthita word is very important. It is established. Nothing can uh, de deviate him, waver him from that type of conviction. So that's the thing which, with which Bhagavan starts his answer for the second question, Kimasit. So we have studied that uh, in our Yoga Shastra, there is a step which is called Pratyahara. There's eight limbs of yoga. It starts with uh, and what you say, this Yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama. This is the first four steps. The, and the next, the fifth is where the mental process starts. The others are quite physical. This, the first is the Pratyahara. That whenever my mind is going out, I try to bring it back. Why I try to bring it back? Because I see the long-term effect of all the sense enjoyment, that they are going to disintegrate me. So I gradually try, constantly try to withdraw myself. So this attempt, it should become our habit and it is needed in our life. That as we say that in day-to-day -day life, constantly we will find that in the name of freedom, what is what we think of freedom, 
We think freedom as freedom of the senses, but real freedom is freedom from the senses. Take, you know, day-to-day life, the life of a student. There are so many things to lure him or her. And he feels, it's, I have the freedom to go and enjoy the world. Why should the world restrict me from that? I do have the freedom. But we all can understand that if I can restrict myself, thinking of some long-term goal, that I have to get established, I become a responsible citizen. Responsibility means studying and going to some profession which entails in serving the humankind. For that I need education. For that I have to get rid of the distractions. So what you are doing, you are seeing the long-term goal, you are restricting yourself. For that, willpower is necessary. It's very natural that our senses will draw us outward. But seeing the long-term goal, I withdraw myself and don't get lured by the immediate sensed pleasures of life. So that's the thing which is being indicated here. As we have mentioned many times, when Swami Vivekananda was in the West, in one of his lectures, he was praising renunciation, detachment. And someone from the audience stood up and immediately he stood up and interrupted the lecture by saying, Swamiji, Swamiji, it seems you are from the medieval ages teaching us about renunciation. It's a modern America. In this, we always go for freedom. And then Swami Vivekananda, as he was interrupted, he stopped his lecture. He was pacing up and down the dais. He got a bit distracted. And then he went near that person. And what he told was something very significant. He just told prattle, babes prattle. That you are babies. Prattle. Prattle means you are speaking something useless words. Prattle, babes, prattle. Yours is just 200 years civilization. Have a civilization as old as ours. Then you will understand the true significance of renunciation. So these words are very significant. What's prattling? That in day-to-day life we find that when the children feel like moving out, have just have their own freedom, enjoy their freedom, the parents sometimes will be restricting them. Then saying it's not that good. And then you will find the children will start lecturing. They will say many things. They will say that you are like just like the way that person told that you are from the medieval ages. The children's the, the way they retort is almost the same that you are from that old generation. You don't know the ways of life in the present day. That's what they say, the same thing. And then the parents, what they say, the same thing they say as Swamiji is saying to the entire civilization, that you are young, that your civilization is just 200. So America was discovered 200 years back when Swamiji was saying that's what he was intended to say. And then suddenly there was a lot of material progress and you think you have understood everything. So that's the same thing he's saying, just the way the mother says to the child, that you think you have understood everything. 
but you are just so young, you are yet to go through the experiences of life. You're all babes, babies. You're yet to go through the experience of life. The one who has gone through the experience of life, they have understood from the experiences that this immediate, this instant lurement for all the things which we see, which gives us the sense of pleasures, is in the long run harmful. It will disintegrate our life. So that's why the mother at last, when she finds no answer, what she says, the mother or the father, that prattle. The Swamiji is also saying the same thing, prattle, babes, prattle. You'll understand what I'm saying. When you grow sufficiently old, but how old? When you grow as old as our civilization, he came from that Vedic celebration background, one of the oldest civilization of the world. So he's coming from that background, which has learned from the experiences and that has given the wisdom. So what he's speaking, you will find very interesting that Swamiji is saying that you grow as old as us, then you will understand there was no need for growing that old. It's just in another hundred years, in recent times, when I was in India, I saw a movie called Two Million Minutes in IIT uh, Kharagpur. Uh, as I was staying in Midnapur, it is very near to Kharagpur, IIT. So frequently we used to visit there. The professors there, they used to have some satsang, so that's where we have we had we were in touch with them. We used to visit, and in one such visit, they took us to that IIT to show us the documentary movie. The name of the movie is Two Million Minutes. It, has, it was produced by the American government. It's not a movie for entertainment. It's a movie for creating awareness among the students, American students in American schools about the need for this, what you say that focus in education to not get lured by the distractions. So what's the movie? In that movie, they show three students. One is from the Indian origin in India, not in America, in India, from Indian origin. One is a Chinese and one is American. And they are all in the, just have been promoted to the ninth standard. So it's a very crucial time. There's a high school ninth standard, another four years, nine, 10, 11, 12. In another four years, they will be uh, just selecting some professional course in the university. They will be going to the university, having some higher education. So this four years result on that depends their, this, the choice of their academic education. And these four years, if you convert into minutes, four years, if you convert into minutes, it comes a bit more than 2 million. So that's why the name of the movie is 2 million minutes. There's a four the four uh, years converted into minutes is a bit more than 2 million minutes. And that's why it is called 2 million this minutes, the name of the movie. So this 2 million minutes. So this in the ninth standard, these three students are there for them that there's, uh, there's a, someone is coming and taking a, like an interview. They're asking that what you want to become in future. So first they ask the American student. The American student replies that I want to get admitted in MIT. This either. 
So in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, I want to get admitted, well and good. They ask the Indian student, the Indian student as from the Indian background, he says, I want to get in some of the IITs, the most reputed engineering college in India, this technological institutes in India. The Chinese student also gives the same answer. He wants to get admitted in some of the reputed institutions, technological institutions in China, in Beijing. So this is what the three of them answers. And now they show their life, that how, how they're conducting themselves in their day-to-day -day life. First, they show the American student. The American student goes to the school and his education is just restricted with the going to the school. After the school hours, he's free. He's socializing, going, uh, just mixing with the people, socializing. They have started uh, merrymaking, partying. That's how he's quite happy with all those things. No one is there to restrict him from all those things, but he goes to school. And then this, the Indian student they show, there they show, there the parents are very strict. The mother is the tiger mother. She's there always observing his son, what he's doing. The son goes to school. He also has some friends, spends some time with his friend, but he has a time by which he has to come back. And then he is sitting on his study table. And when the exam is near, he's even not allowed to get up from the study table so that he may not waste his time. The food goes to the table. And it's almost the same thing is shown with the Chinese student. There also the mother is very strict. So that's how the second scene, the first scene was that question. The second scene is how they're living the life. The third scene, the 4 million minutes is over, 2 million minutes over. So they have now uh, just uh, in the 12th standard, now they're going to the university. Now they ask the Indian student, have you achieved your goal? He says almost. He couldn't get chance in IIT, but he got chance in some reputed engineering college and he's happy. The Chinese student is also happy because he has also reached his goal. First, they show the Americans, and then at last they show the American student. First, they show that he's happy. His life has not changed. He's still that going to the parties, making merrymaking. And after showing that, now they go and ask. So you're so happy. It seems you have attained the goal which you were planning. And he was actually forgotten the goal. He asked, what's the goal? You told that you want to get chance uh, get admitted in MIT. No way. So he is continuing his study in, some, in university with some course, but in no way he could get admitted to the MIT. So this is the three sin. After that is the American government which is asking the students, the American students. So will you be satisfied with this way of life, just merrymaking? Just see that we own all the multinational companies, just we who own, but just see the CEOs, the all the high, the officials there, it's all from the this third world countries. Why they have restricted their life. They have seen the far-fetched goal and restricted their present life. They have renowned something trivial for something which is really precious. And that's why they are the one who are the, who are holding all the posts for all these 
organization, will you be happy with what you're doing? So now again, you relate to those words of Swami Vivekananda. Prattle, babes, prattle. Yours is just 200 years civilization. Have a civilization as old as ours. Then you will understand the true significance of renunciation. So now we will understand that there is a need to develop that willpower, that whatever my mind wants, my senses want, if I just give a free rein to that, I will be simply a wreck at last. I will find that I am constantly un that under the whims and fancies of my senses, I really no control in my own life. And I find that there are, I have so many dreams, but I don't have the means to fulfill them because I have never trained myself. So that's why willpower is a factor which we have to develop in our life. Now, how to develop willpower? You may say, some may say, I don't have. The other student is doing good. He has the, his own willpower to restrict himself within some parameters. I don't have. I have a natural tendency to move out. What can I do? And there are many who will just subscribe to this idea. Yes, we are all different. We cannot help. If I am, my genes are there such that uh, I have to just simply uh, I get lured by the things. What can I do? But just the way we build our muscles, the same way we can develop the willpower. The same way. Willpower can be developed. This is the thing which we have to we have to make a part of our education that willpower is something which can be developed. How it can be developed? How we develop the muscles. We go to the gym and we see someone most probably just uh, doing some, just working against the weight. Most probably 40 times, 40 times, 50 times, he stretches his arms with the dumbbell. And seeing him, I try to imitate. Let me try to do it. 40 times, 50 times. And for the first time as I'm doing, I find what? That just after doing 20 or 25 times, my muscles are stretched. There's a cramp in my muscle. And it's, there's a terrible pain for the next few days. I cannot even move my arms. And when after a few days rest again, I feel like going to the gym that I now I'm feeling better. But today I go, I find I can easily do 20, 25 times or 30 times. The strength as if has increased. How the strength has increased? Is it just by doing the dumbbell of strength increases? No. It's just the opposite, the negative way. When I stress myself beyond my limit, my muscle cells get ruptured. There's a damage of the muscle cells. That gives me the pain. Now, the cells are intelligent. They get the instruction that when they are growing again, the instruction is what? That you have to multiply more because that area is now more stressed. Previously, it was not stressed. So, okay, that few muscle cells will do. But now as there is stressed, you have to multiply more. It is from that feedback, the muscle cells grow. It is not by just uh, working against the weight, your muscles grow. When we work against the weight, we actually are destroying the muscles. And then when they're rebuilding, that feedback comes that you have to build more because now that area is stressed, 
those part of the body is stressed, you have to grow more. So that's how the muscles is from the feedback mechanism, the muscle grows the same way the willpower grows. We all can, we just, those who do fasting, they will know that for the first time when you're fasting, most probably by the time you have supposed to have your lunch, you're terribly hungry. But now you have already committed yourself that you will fast till midnight, till the particular ritual is done. Now you feel that how can I continue? That it is that by the, just by the lunch time, I'm so hungry. How can I continue till midnight? But very interesting thing. During the lunch time, you're hungry, but if you can somehow desist yourself and continue, by evening you will suddenly find that hunger has gone. You're feeling quite light. Just the way by the feedback mechanism, the muscle grows, same way our willpower grows. How? That the that all the hunger and other these feelings are the biological alarm system. In the form of the pangs of hunger, the body is saying, is giving the alarm that it's time to take food, take food. If you ignore that alarm, the alarm system itself becomes weak. It gets exhausted. It stops. And the hunger is not there. Because the pangs of hunger is nothing but the biological alarm that stops for the time being. And it allows you to continue with the fasting for long. So the same feedback mechanism helps us to develop willpower. So at the beginning, I may find the tremendous urge to do the thing, what I feel like doing. But if somehow I can withstand, the next day I won't have to struggle that much. It will increase. This willpower will increase because the feedback mechanism has started working. The alarm system will now simply fall off. It's not that it, it, will, it will just for any prolonged time, but the you can delay your gratifications for longer and longer time. And that speaks of developing the willpower. You can delay your gratifications for longer periods. And that, and what when you can delay the gratification, and now very interesting thing. At the beginning, my mind was disturbed. You may say, when I resist myself from the doing the thing which I like, my mind is disturbed. I cannot study. Wait. Yes, today I cannot study. When I am restricting myself, my mind is constantly going to that. I cannot study. But have patience. After a few days, I will find that, that, that my mind is no more driven to that because I have developed that through that feedback mechanism. The body's urge automatically has vanished. Because as I have not fed it previous day, the alarm system is now getting delayed. It says, okay, even if I put the alarm, it won't work. So naturally, it simply falls off. It won't disturb you anymore. It will allow you to continue for longer period with at ease with yourself. Though at the very first day, I couldn't help myself. I was disturbed. Though I will feel I have lost both. Neither I'm enjoying the thing, nor the purpose for which I have restricted myself that I would most probably study. The student may think he cannot study. His mind is totally distracted. He's again and again going to that. But if he can have the patience to go through that turmoil, to go through this uh, stage of uh, this, uh, what is restlessness, wait for a few days, then you'll find the mind is controlled. So that's why Swami Vivekananda used to say that the entire spiritual journey is nothing but 
the practice of three P, purity, patience, perseverance. Purity is this pratyahara, again and again trying to desist yourself from the senses going out, that speaks of purity, but it doesn't happen in a day, you have to have patience. You may fail once or twice, again you should try, perseverance. So this thing can gradually help us develop that willpower. And once you have developed, your reflex changes. Now, what is reflex? Our body, that if I have to do something, suppose I have to pick up a chair, my mind first has to instruct me that go and pick up the chair. Consciously, I'm taking a resolution and then I go up and pick up the chair. But there are some movements of the body, some motor actions for which the mind did not have to say. Even in deep sleep, someone deep sleep, someone touches my eyeball immediately, my eyes will react to it. There's no conscious decision. So these are called reflex. How the reflex has formed? When I do a thing consciously again and again, then my body becomes, those actions, those responses becomes autonomous, which I do, do again and again, again and again. They become autonomous. Then there is no need for any conscious decision. So similarly, when willingly I am using my willpower to desist myself from something which I feel is not going to help me in the long run, they can get converted into reflex because of the repeatedly trying to do that. The today's practice becomes tomorrow's habit. It becomes your habit now. And now it is something spontaneous. So you will find that even without taking conscious decision, you, you have, don't have to pull back the reins your body automatically repels from the thing which, for which everyone feels attracted. And now it has become a reflex. So that's what is being spoken of in this sloka. So let us read the sloka once more. What is speaking? Yada sangharate chayam kurmongani vasarvashah indriyanindriyarthebhya tasya pragya pratishthita. So one who withdraws the senses from the objects. How? Just as a tortoise withdraws its limbs into its shell when it finds danger. Similarly, we end, we Indriya Indriyarthebhya. What is the other? One is this Indriyarthebhya means Indriya Artha. Indriya Artha means the objects of the senses from which the Indriya, the sense organs are withdrawn just the way a tortoise withdraws its limb. For one, if it happens, Know it for certain, his wisdom is established. So in this life, many of us think that external circumstance is such, what can I do? The distraction is common. Here we have our mobile, our tablet, and this Facebook, social media, they naturally distract me. What can I do? We are helpless, but know it for certain, it's a question of immunity. Like the same germs are moving around. Some get infected, some don't get infected. That now we find this flu is there. Who are not getting infected? So that's why you will find now suddenly, previously all used to go for muscle strength. Now all are going for increasing the immunity. How can I imp improve my immune system? Because now we find that there's so many infections this suddenly we find that the interest for immunity has increased. What it speaks, 
that if I am strongly immune, then I won't get infected. So similarly, like those viruses, like those microbes, in present-day society, the viruses and microbes are not only biological. Your Facebook, your WhatsApp, all these social things are like the virus bacteria. They are there like pests to feed on you. They are there <clears throat> because how they have been developed. The social media, you know, that what if uh, the things which you see more, automatically uh, those things will come to you again and again. Means the entire thing has been programmed in such a way that what you view, similar things will come. But a very interesting thing, our hatred is stronger than our love. If you, the things which you hate, if you dislike, for them, they give more points. The things which they like, for them, less points. Means how much, when they're choosing that, what should be recurring, more, more recurring. The things which you hate, for them, more points, so that they recur more. So you will suddenly find that something you saw, which you really, the hatred developed, you find more of those things are coming. Why, after all, the, how much time you spend on viewing all those things depends their income. So actually, they're like pest. Just the way a pest uh, makes, uh, when they find you are vulnerable, they come and feed on you. Here, they are feeding on us. What's the way out? I cannot stop them. There may be agitations, movements, and trying to restrict through laws that how the social media can somehow be subdued the way they are just pervading the society. Know it for certain, no laws can help in really subduing them. They will be there in some form or other. The only way is just the way one who has developed immunity. Though the viruses are there, it doesn't get infected. Here also we have to develop that immunity. And that immunity is the thing which has been spoken of in this sloka. Yada sanghatichayam. Let the, all the things be there. It is you. It is totally subjective. It is the subjective. It is how we are developing the power not to be distracted by the things. The more I can do that, the more I am immune. The more I am stable in my wisdom. So that's the thing which Bhagavan says in this sloka. But in the next sloka, we will find that's not all. By developing willpower, of course, to a great extent, we can take care of our immediate attachments. But even we don't know, because you will find the social medias, they constantly are doing research how to grab your attention. Today, you find that there is some way by which your attention was grabbed and you have developed the willpower not to be dragged by that. Again, they will be just finding out ways so that they can drag your attention. In our day-to-day -day life, we find that somehow we may get rid of one obsessions, but again, we fall in the prey of so many other obsessions. So again, I have to develop willpower to get rid of all of them. This fight goes on as if unceasingly. So for to answer that, there are two types of practices. One is I have to renounce the thing for which I am having obsession at present, which is already manifesting. But in future, again, I may develop other obsessions. How can I get rid of this vulner, uh, rid of vulnerability? 
you, you don't become vulnerable at all, whatever be the situation. That's the long-term effect. In Bhagavad Gita itself, much later, Bhagavan will speak of two practices. One is Abhyasa and another is Vairagya. You have to practice something as well as renounce something. The renunciation takes care of the immediate danger and the practice takes care of some of the long-term danger. That Vairagya takes care of immediate danger, Abhyasa takes care of long-term danger. That will be indicated in the next sloka. Let us read that. You will find these are very interesting. What it is saying? Vishaya vinivartante niraharasya dehina rasavarjam rasopyasya parang drishtva nivartate. So when I am restraining my senses, the aspirants may restrain the senses from the objects of enjoyment. Vishaya vinivartante niraharasya Nirahar is generally we translate the one who is starving. He's not taking food. But that's a very limited translation. The real translation of Nirahara is that one who is constantly withdrawing himself from sensual pleasures of life. Immediate pleasures of life. Then how, 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 what's the etymological meaning of word Nirahara? Ahara actually means to gather in. So it is not the food only that we gather in. Whatever I am seeing, that's what I'm gathering in. What there's the world of sight uh, through my eyes, I'm gathering in. Whatever I hear, I'm gathering in. Whatever I test, I'm gathering in. Whatever I touch, I'm gathering. So all the five senses, through the five senses, whatever I perceive, I am gathering in. So they are all is arhyate. I'm gathering in. So they all are ahara. So food doesn't mean only the uh, means the food which nourishes us physically. All the five perceptions are ahara. So in that sense, the word ahara has been used here. So when you say nirahara, means one who has restrained his senses from the objects. For him, what happens is not enjoying. But in his mind, the test for the enjoyment is still there. That I, because of my diabetes, I have stopped taking anything sweet. But the likeness for the sweet is still there. Just thinking of my health, I am not taking. But the likeness is there. And as long as the likeness is there, the struggle will be there. I have to desist myself. So how that struggle can vanish? For any that no, no objects of lurement can drag me. It is possible only when your Spiritual practice can take you to realization. Rasa varjang rasopyasya parang drishtva. The absolute truth. Parang means that which is beyond this phenomenal existence. This which transcends this phenomenal existence. Your self. When drishtva, when you realize that. Then the rasa. The test for the objects. That also falls off. So you may restrain the senses from the objects of enjoyment, but the test for the sense object remains. However, even if the test ceases when, when one realizes the supreme. We will go to the discussion of this sloka in more details. First, first to give an idea that what it, how it happens. Here you may find that somehow the mystical aspect has come and you may feel discouraged. Oh, realization, 
uh, this is speaking of something uh, which is not uh, comprehensible with for me enough leave it here but let us try to understand what he's saying you will easily understand that the example which we give again and again in the life of swami vivekananda that he's saying that when i was passing through the desert as a wandering monk and i was thirsty i i was in search of water and suddenly i saw a huge reservoir at a distance i started proceeding towards it to quench my thirst i started proceeding towards it and as i proceeded a bit first i found that no way the distance is reducing it is it appears to be at the same distance and then suddenly it vanished it was not there and then the idea came from the childhood i have read about mirage that in desert you see that huge reservoir it's a mirage it's an hallucination it's actually not there you may see water you may see like oasis even the plants reflection on it and you may be drawn towards it but it is just a mirage it's a hallucination in the desert it happens and now till when i read it in the textbook i thought i have understood what mirage is that it is a hallucination which happens in the desert but i have never realized that it was just a conceptual knowledge today i have realized i saw it vanished and then i understood oh it was a mirage then what's the difference next day again when i am walking i am just walking down the desert most probably again i am thirsty and as i am still in my mind and senses as i have realized what mirage is that doesn't mean i won't see that mirage again again it comes i say huge reservoir but there's a huge difference that rasa has fallen off today it won't draw you the test has fallen off because you know it is a mere projection similarly when you realize the supreme self along with that what the realization comes that everything else is a projection of that brahman the world of name and form is a projection of brahman the reality the tangible reality with which i relate to that world that falls off i see it as as a mere apparent it is something which is being superimposed my mind and my senses are constantly fooling me by making them as if appear as real once that real from the realization that conviction comes just the way the one who has seen the have realized the mirage for the first day he won't be drawn by dragged by it in the second day though he sees it the idea of the reality of it has fallen off so the test has fallen off naturally so here till that realization happens will power is important by that we have to desist though that struggle is there we have to desist but once the realization happens that struggle has fallen off no more struggle naturally that renunciation comes because they won't draw you anymore you have realized the truth behind it as sri ramakrishna used to give a nice example he used to say that we won't have to struggle always in the initial stage in the beginning the struggle is there what's the initial stage the struggle is there he used to give a nice example suppose from the mountains a stream is just there is a stream falling and when it comes to the plains it breaks into two legs so as if two rivers so now very interesting if you start rowing a boat 
from one of the limb of this one, it has become a U structure. So from one of the limbs of that U, from one of the limbs of that U uh, waterfall, U shaped waterfall, you start rowing up. How much you have to exert? Constantly have to just row against the stream. But when you reach the bend, from there now you will get a favorable, favorable flow. But how long you have to row, struggle till you reach the bend. Once you reach the bend, now there's a favorable flow. Now you can relax, just you hold the row to keep your direction. No exertion is required. So similarly, that all our exertion till that param drishtva nivartate, you go to that realization. Now everything falls off naturally. Nothing of this world can lure you anymore. Because that realization has dawned in. Now the renunciation has become spontaneous. So that's the idea which will be spoken of in this Vishaya Vinivartante Nirahara Dehina Raso Varjang Param Drishtva. When you realize the Supreme in this life, all the rasa, the taste for the thing that falls off. Otherwise, we are simply desisting, but in our mind, the test for it's still there. And the struggle is still there. To some extent, hypocrisy is there. That all falls off when we have reached that supreme. So there are, for a sadhaka, that's why this, there are two sadhanas. Vairagya, that's a short-term remedy. And abhyasa, this practice to reach that realization. How that realization, we can reach that realization? We need practice for that. So we will go to this uh, discussion again in the next class because it will take time. Though some few minutes is there, I won't start it today. Just know it for certain that these two practices are there. Vairagya for getting rid of immediate inordinate attachments. And we have to practice something so that our ignorance falls off and it takes us to the realization and once it happens, all the desires falls off at a time. We won't have to get rid of desires one by one. That these stories we repeat again and again, whenever the context comes, just to give you that idea. The stories are so important. The story of Ramakrishna, that he is giving that example that when with realization, all desires falls off at a time. Real, real renunciation is that it doesn't happen sequentially that I renounce something today, again tomorrow, another thing. That way the renunciation never happens. The real renunciations all falls off at a time. And that, you know, that he used to sometimes speak of very funny stories to exemplify what he was saying. So the, this story just we will say to stop our class, we will go to that elaborate discussion again in the next class. What he says that a, a villager was going to have a dip in the village pond. As he was going to have a dip, he was going, just going to bathe. So naturally he was not properly dressed. Just he was wearing a loincloth and another towel was there on his shoulder. But after bathing, he needs something to wipe him himself. So there was a towel on the shoulder and just one towel uh, which, with which he was, uh, he was using as a loincloth. He was about to leave the house. Then his wife just suddenly told him, you're so attached person. Just see our next neighbor, he has developed renunciation. And this man asked, what have you seen in him? 
that makes you feel that he has developed renunciation. The wife told, say he has 12 wives. He is renouncing them one by one. And this man, he told, you're a fool. Can anyone renounce one by one? Do you want to see what is renunciation? Here I leave, never to return back. So he was just not wearing, he was not properly dressed. He was just having a loincloth and a towel. He left the home never to return back once for all. So this is the story. What's the idea? When renunciation comes, for that man, the renunciation came from the wife's words or whatever it may be. And that was a true renunciation. He never came to pack his belongings and just that if I go out, I will need something for sustenance. Nothing. Simply leaves. The other thing cannot be called as a renunciation. cannot be sequential, one by one. The real renunciation, when it happens, it happens once for all. Everything falls off. When that happens, when you realize the Supreme. What's the practice which speaks of that, which can take us to that type of that state where even the taste has fallen off and nothing can lure me. So that we will again take up in the next class. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.